0: you want the package being delivered. Landlords. Most of us have to deal with them. They can be nosy, weird, evasive, lazy. The best kind of landlords tend to be the ones that are hands-off. But what if I told you that you can look forward to a bright future of automated landlords? Robot landlords tending to their rental properties with a cool and calloused algorithmic hand. That impersonal future is here, Now. With us today to talk about it is Nick Kepler. Kepler is a freelance journalist whose work has appeared in the Washington Post, the Daily Beast, and of course, Vice. His latest is at Motherboard, and it is Robot Landlords Are Buying Up Houses. Nick, thank you so much for coming onto the show and walking us through this today. Thank you for having me. All right, so can you tell me, the there's a pretty striking scene that you set at the beginning of this. Uh, Can you kind of walk me through how this piece opens? Sure. Uh, well,
1: there's a company called Imagine Homes that's been buying up properties in, uh, a few cities, Midwestern cities, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and where I live in Pittsburgh. And they had a home, um, you know, about 800 square feet, um, near where I live. And to be able to, uh, they don't have any leasing offices in Pittsburgh. No one shows you the house. Nobody gives you a key. So to have a look at this house, you, have to, um, you do a, what's called a self-guided tour. I had to upload like a passport so they knew what I looked like. Um, did, it have to be, I
0: it, did it have to be a passport or could it have been like a driver's license or?
1: It could have been any sort of ID. Um, yeah, just the passport seemed to work the best. So once I got to the place, I, um, went onto their portal and just looked into the, some sort of configuration I had and turned my head and then I figured out I did look like the person in the passport, the person whose information they had. Um, and then I got a temporary passcode to unlock it and then totally alone. No one, um, no one showing me the place. I just did a walkthrough and it was it basically like any like old house that they have painted up, put in some new stuff. um, The only thing that was very odd about it is, um, in Pittsburgh, there's something called the Pittsburgh toilet which is basically a freestanding toilet. That's in the basement. Um, they don't actually funk. I mean, they will function as a toilet, but their purpose is to, uh, to catch sewage overflow for like older systems. So a lot of old houses in Pittsburgh have them in this case, I think whoever renovated this house, uh, adapted i've I've lived in a lot of like miniature pittsburgh row houses so there's usually a bedroom and then a bathroom with a little half room around it that you can use as an office or a nursery depending on where you are in life Uh, in this case i think they turned that to a second bedroom and your entire entire bathroom was like in the basement um and for people in pittsburgh to have your only toilet be the pittsburgh toilet is a little bit horrifying
0: was there a bath? like a shower? Yeah, there was a bath. Okay. Um, but not near the Pittsburgh toilet. Yes, near the Pittsburgh toilet.
1: They sort of, I think, took everything that, that... I think they just sort of clustered a bathroom together near the Pittsburgh toilet.
0: And this is all... And so you go in and you look at this place and nobody's with you. You can't ask anybody questions. You're completely alone looking at that weird, like... You know, when you go into the place right after the landlord's been in, they've completely coated everything in that white paint that's a little too thick.
1: It was like Yeah, that. the
0: eggshell. Yeah. Uh, were you looking for a place or was this purely for research? This is purely for
1: research. Okay. Um, I, but I just went in and as if I were looking for a place, I um, turned in all my information on the site. And... Uh, yeah, it was sort of ghostly. Just there's no one there and I I did have questions particularly about the bathroom like are you supposed to do all your bathroom stuff in the basement?
0: Um and what uh like what happens when you walk out the front door after you're done?
1: You just hear a clicking sound and then you're it locks up again. It didn't look like anyone had been at this place for a very long time. There were uh there was like a mailbox full of junk mail that was soaked in rain. There were some Packages I think meant for a previous tenant that were just sort of laying there. But again, the Imagine Homes, which is one of these sort of robot landlord companies, has um, you know no actual offices in Pittsburgh. I don't know how many people they have here. Uh, they did not return calls for comments. But it seems like nobody had been around at this place for a while.
0: All right. So can you tell me what is then kind of zoom out an automated landlord? And how did you first get interested in this?
1: An automated landlord is a company that um, owns probably several thousand houses across the United States and has little interaction with tenants, has set up systems where that is possible. Um, Nobody shows you the place. There's a self-guided tour that you do through um, an automated system, through a key entry there's um nowhere you send a check you pay your rent through a portal um if you ever need maintenance you send it through a queue if you ever need to talk to somebody you're talking to somebody over email or over the phone who might be thousands of miles away um and the reason that this is happening is um because after the 2008 housing crash Wall Street first got into owning just massive amounts of houses. It was not something that um, investment companies had done before. Um, they started to, and it's sort of in their interest to put as little to have as a little as it, it's in their it's in their interest to have as few people on the payroll as possible dealing with these com- dealing with these houses.
0: Basically, landlording and, without the landlord.
1: Yeah. Um, Anything that you can't automate, you do
0: you know, having dealt with several landlords in my time on this earth, this doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> the people I talked to um
1: who had lived in these types of homes you know they're young they're a lot of them are used to banking online communicating online um ordering shoes online so to have all the landlord related systems be related online um uh, appeal to them one of the issues though is is maintenance i've talked to several people who says who i talked to several people who told me that when something did go wrong it took a very long time to get somebody out there um and this is not these are complaints that have been raised about wall street landlords uh for a long time um invitation homes is one of the largest in the US and if you just google it you'll see local news reports with some horror stories um, I think the Atlantic had a big thing but maintenance seems to be um, the problem again because they have very few people on the ground um, if it's if you rent from invitation homes or American homes for rent one of the larger ones they might have a crew in your city who will come and you know, unclog the toilet we'll fix a a water pipe that's leaking we'll do that kind of thing um if you're doing one of the smaller ones they probably outsource that to some local handy people so that that seems to be the greatest snag for um the people who are renting these properties
0: and they also might send you a youtube video telling you how to do it yourself right yeah, Invitation Homes,
1: which is uh, the largest owner of um, single-family homes in the United States, um, it has more than eight hundred thousand in sixteen metro areas. For a while, they're experimenting with having um, having guides on their website to how to, and on how to fix little things. Um, they seem to have taken those off. I don't think it's really. Appeal to people. I mean, the way that they've sort of advertised themselves is, um, it's homeownership for the way that they've advertised themselves. It's the homeowner lifestyle. So if you're into having a yard, um, if you're into, you know, trimming your weeds, but you, for some reason can't afford to own a house or don't want to own a house, that's who they're going for. Um, and you want to be left
0: alone by the landlord.
1: Yeah, yeah, and of course, another uh, facet is that these companies are buying up houses very quickly. And in some areas, uh, people are becoming afraid that they will be outbidding anyone who actually would like to own a house themselves.
0: Right. Do we have any idea, like where, I'm trying to think of even where I want to go because there's so many questions I've got. Let's start with, what do we know about this company? When did they start? Where do they come from? How many employees do they have? Which were invitation invitation, or imagine. which I think uh, that's the other thing is I like that they both have similar names. So you kind, yeah. of, you kind of get twisted around, you know, we're not really sure. Um, because
1: it sort of goes up and down, but most estimates show that invitation homes, the, the largest wall street backed, um, the owner of houses has about 13,000 employees. Um, they do have leasing offices in the cities where they are. Um, it could be pretty far from where your house actually is. But they do have people on the ground who are working. And they have about um, 80,000 houses all across the United States, uh, 16 metro areas specifically. I think that the second biggest one is called um, American Homes for Rent. Um, they have, uh, 58,000, uh, houses in 22 States. And it was, um, founded by a person who owned like self-storage units. Um, so I guess you can, once you can automate all those things, then it seems like, uh, self-storage is a pretty simple bridge to managing houses.
0: Right. It's, it's fairly similar. You're just storing humans as well as stuff, right? Yeah. And as long as the portal gets the paycheck every month, what do you care? Yeah. Uh, I mean, these places do have
1: higher eviction rates. Um, some studies have shown than other – your typical landlord, probably because they automate everything, they make everything as efficient as possible, and there's no person you can you know, talk to and try to reason with if you're short that month.
0: Yeah, I guess that's another another aspect of this I didn't consider as much as a lot of us dislike landlords. And, you know, I think you in your piece, you kind of conjure up this image of the feudal. Uh, like, uh, you know, there's these kind of two images of the landlord. There's the guy that comes in and he's like fixes your pipes. And then there's the other one that's like the feudal lord that kind of has dominion over you in some way. As much as we dislike that latter image, it is a person that you can actually talk to sometimes they can be reasoned with you can't reason with an algorithm
1: yeah um there was sort of a house investigation into reports that some of these wall street backed companies particularly invitation homes were evicting people um during the the lockdown period of covid and in which case it was um people had certain protections to not be evicted um, again, once everything's sort of automated like this, uh, the eviction process becomes a lot simpler. There are um, there was a company I was looking at that's sort of making software um, to sort of replicate the eviction process as quickly as possible. So um, yeah, I mean a lot of people do love the smart home aspects of these um, of these sort of robot landlords, but once there's sort of any trouble with either maintenance or you're just not able to pay that month, um, it could become complicated. I also talked to somebody who just could not figure out who was in charge of like lawn care for a while. Um, <laughs> you know, they were deal- they, were renting, a- they were renting a house in Cleveland from a company that um, owns houses all over the United States. And they just could not get on anyone on the phone to clarify who actually mows the lawn for a while. The company was sending out to someone and then they weren't. And um, it sort of became a little bit Kafka-esque in figuring out who is responsible for that. So they they kind of, um, I guess it's like anything that's sort of automated. It's all great until
0: there's something that goes wrong. All right, we're going to pause there for a break, cyber listeners. We'll be right back after this. All right, cyber listeners, we are talking about robot landlords with freelance journalist Nick Kepler. Okay, so can we talk about the origins of some of this stuff? You said a lot of it comes out of like the 2008 uh, housing market crash. And something that you kind of mentioned in the story and you highlighted a little bit earlier that I thought was really interesting was that, you know, capital will kind of get into whatever it can figure out ways to kind of extract everything it can from stuff for a long time. Single family homes was something it couldn't quite get into, right? What, what are the, what is it about single family housing that made it a place where the traditional landlord could flourish and it was hard for wall street to get involved?
1: It used to be that, uh, I mean, I'd say up until about 10 years ago, um, to be a landlord, you needed to know the local housing market pretty well. You needed to know which houses were worth buying, what to charge for them. Um, the job also required some footwork. Either you or someone you hired had to show the place, had to fix the place up. Um, if you were buying a new place, you had to inspect it. So this just required so much on-the-ground work that Wall Street and these large capital companies just weren't interested. Um and then after the 2008 crash, you started to have um, data mining companies create these heat maps of foreclosures. You had these algori- you had algorithms that could um, determine sort of what was a desirable neighborhood, um, factoring a bunch of places. The algorithm would factor in a bunch of things like proximity to um, employment centers, schools, just sort of the general trend of of rental rates in an area. So with all that information in hand, um, you could have people who are in San Francisco or in New York um, suddenly know what a good house in Cleveland was or what a good house in Minneapolis was. Um, And they use this information to look for houses. And when they find a house they want to buy, they move in really quick. Um, I talked to somebody who put his house in uh, Cincinnati up for sale. It was it was kind of a cookie cutter, um, working class house about a thousand square feet, two bedrooms. By the time, like within hours of him posting it online, he had um, an offer from Imagine Homes, one of these Wall Street backed firms for 10% more than what he was asking for, and they were agreed to waive the inspection fee. So if you're a typical person looking to buy a house, you're sort of a first-time homeowner and you have to work with a bank, you can't compete with that. So they're armed with a lot of technology that helps them navigate uh, real estate markets that were once really only knowable by people on the ground, and it also helps them buy houses very quickly.
0: Well, they also do stuff that traditional landlords just wouldn't, right? Like uh, the, one of the things that really I thought was really wild is that because it's all so much of its remote, they won't even inspect the property. Like they won't they often won't walk through it. They'll just take, make it take a bet and buy it. And uh, I think the the story you told the one you just mentioned, they waived the inspection, like the official inspection. Right. And it was like, we don't need that. We don't need a guy to come out and like go through it. It's fine. Just here's $10,000 over the asking price. And if you make enough of those bets, like sure, some of them are going to be shit houses. But, uh, you know, if you've got enough of a portfolio, like it's all going to work out. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, they have enough money that they can basically rely on an equation to tell them what's going to probably be a good house. And if some of them aren't. um that's not really going to affect their bottom line too much. Um, These, yeah, I mean, these companies are backed by these huge investment firms. Um, They've got deep pockets and they're willing to take risks that your normal, they're willing to take risks that your normal landlord who has like 12 houses in one metro area would definitely not take.
0: What makes a house attractive to one of these kinds of firms?
1: So the ideal house for one of these firms is, um, in a, the ideal house for one of these firms is in a metro area where people are working, they have steady income, um, but they are not so all off that they are looking to buy. Um, this is why a lot of urban areas, in the Midwest and sort of the Sun Belts are very attractive. Um, and they also are looking for houses that are somewhere between 1,000 and 200,000. Um, those are good houses to rent for a small family or a single person or a couple. Um, anything much larger than that is probably going to be more desirable for somebody looking to buy. Um, the thing that's difficult about that is that means that the houses that these huge corporations are looking for are also the houses that make good starter homes. If you've got a few thousand dollars and um, you can afford a mortgage that will probably be cheaper in rent in your area, then you've got, you suddenly got these other people in the market who have way more money than you and a much more efficient system of doing things.
0: Did you happen to talk to any landlords about how they felt about all of this?
1: I did not talk to any landlords. No.
0: Um, It's funny. I have, I have an anecdote to fill in. Uh, So I went to, I recently, a couple months ago, uh, I went to a landlord convention in St. Louis and covered it uh, for vice. And it was very much a room full of old school. uh, Landlords. Some of them had like a couple rental properties. Some of them had dozens of rental properties. Some of them had hundreds were like, you know, in charge of a large, large area. And it was really wild. I know you've reported in this space long more than I have, but it was really wild how um, exact, they were exactly the people that I thought they were going in. It was like every stereotype kind of bore fruit in front of me. You know, people talking about how they, they didn't like certain tenants and uh, there was a guy that was advising people to repossess people's pets uh, to collect on uh, to collect on like defaulted rent because a, technically a pet is property and you can do that and like force people to give you money. It was just like really wild stuff. Um, and of course, as part of this convention, lots of different people came up and like were pitching things and talking and explaining their systems and all this kind of thing. Uh, and the last woman on the last day who spoke, uh, I can't remember where she. I can't remember what area she operated in. Uh, but she does exclusively Section Eight housing, um, and she ran it the way that you're describing. It's all automated, it's all systematized. She never goes out and meets anybody. She has the lock boxes. You know, she is a person with a rental office that is in charge of it and like doing it herself on a small level. But she found like a corner of the market that the other landlords don't want to operate in, which is Section Eight housing, low income people. Um, and systematized all of it and automated all of it. And the room was horrified by her, you know, because there was tenants that they didn't want to deal with, and it was using systems that they thought would basically put them out of a job. Um, it was fascinating to watch because I was like, This you're watching the the meteor talk to the dinosaurs in a way. <laughs> like she's she's the future and she knows it and she's gonna She's going to, uh, it's, you know, on a long enough timescale, it's not just going to be section eight housing. It's going to be all the single family homes are kind of moving this way because if you can, if you're a landlord or if you're a, uh, you know, a big wall street firm and you can cut out all this stuff in the middle, why wouldn't you? Right. Um. So it's as much as we despise landlords, it may be interesting that one day, Or, you know, you know what? I don't know if you despise landlords. I'm speaking for you. Um, As much as... I've definitely had landlords I've despised. You have?
1: Yeah, I've had some bad landlords. I I mean, I like the the guy I rent from currently, which I I guess I would have to say, but I honestly (laughs) do.
0: What's your your worst landlord? What's your worst landlord story?
1: Oh, my worst landlord story. Well, I rented from someone for six years. um, When I moved into the place, everything was old. Um, They had it furnished. Um, It was so old that they had a telephone desk um, or telephone bench. This is something where you... It has, like, a little table for the telephone. So everything in this place uh, looked like it had been updated in the 70s. This is, like, the early 2010s when I'm moving in. Um, Some of it I just sort of stacked beneath a... I just sort of stacked in a corner and put a sheet on top of because it was just so ugly. I wasn't going to deal with it. The advantage of this place is that it was cheap. Um, so anyway, everything's old. I move out several years later, everything is older. Um, and this woman comes in like, as I'm moving out, I, I just, I explained to her that, you know, <laughs> Hey, everything was pretty old. And your sink was old. It now has a little bit more discoloration on it. Your some of your tiles are coming up in the kitchen. This is just what happens. The day I moved out, she comes in with like a camera and a witness just to take photographs of of everything. <laughs> and it's not even the stuff I was expecting her to be mad about. Like there was um, the kitchen stove got pretty greasy like the fact that the carpet was less bright than it used to be. The curtains were a lighter shade of blue than they were six years ago when she first rented it out. She was so angry about all these little things. Um, And she had like a double deposit from me because I'm a freelance writer. So I'm a little bit more of a risk.
0: Yeah, For (laughs) for people who don't know when you're a freelance writer uh, and I did it for a long time too, like, your banking and finances are a nightmare. Uh, and on paper, like no one wants to work with you. Like it's so, so when you get in, when you find a place, typically you have to do like first and last month. It was first and last month's rent.
1: Uh, Yeah, it was first and last. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's another thing that makes me so a little bit fearful of like the rise of the automated landlord is every time I've had to rent a place, I've had to sit down with the person and explain, um, you know, I'm freelance, so I don't have a paycheck. I'll gladly show you what I paid in taxes last year, what I paid in my quarterly taxes. That's sort of the best estimate I have of the money I make, but I'm always very afraid that they're just going to bypass me for somebody who's a little bit simpler. Um, so yeah, she had a doubled uh, security deposit from me. Um, she's look, looking like she's ready to go to war. So I finally do Google my state's landlord tenant act. And um,
0: yeah, I mean, you can't
1: basically ask for the place to look the same. You have to allow for a reasonable amount of just wear and tear that happens with age.
0: And it had been six years, right? Yes. It had been six years.
1: Um, yeah. So she's, and also in, in, Pennsylvania and probably in a few other states, they can't just take your deposit because they're mad at you. They have to actually explain to you what they spent it on. They have to send you receipts. They have to deduct it. Um, She basically just told me she was taking my deposit because she was um, mad at me. Uh, I tried to just tell her what the law said. I don't think she was very interested. Um, But yeah, I wound up I did a lot. I mean, I went to court with that one. I actually filed in small claims court for a security deposit.
0: It uh, So wouldn't, read up on, wouldn't you have rather just had a robot?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I if the robot could have given me back the deposit in time, <laughs> it's, yeah, um, I guess, yeah, it, I, I, I guess I, I trust the robot a little bit less to be able to yeah, to be able to sort of like calculate that decision
0: fairly. Right, to be human about it, essentially.
1: Yeah, um, but yeah, that was sort of like the worst landlord story I had. Is just the the
0: the person who was just
1: flabbergasted at the fact that it looked – the place, which was already old, looked older, you know, six years later. Um, but, you know, like I said, as you mentioned in the story that you did, landlords do elicit a lot of class range. Um, and some of them do act how you expect them to act. They have an unusual for people who you just have a business relationship with. They have an unusual amount of involvement in your life. Um, and yeah, some of them are awful. Um, but again, it, it, at some point in your relationship with your landlord, it might become important to speak to them human to human. And um Once your landlord is Wall Street, once your landlord is some investment firm in in San Francisco that nobody really can fund, nobody, once your landlord is some investment firm in San Francisco where nobody quite knows who the funders are. um,
0: Yeah, let's, can we get into this a little bit? Because I thought it was interesting. You attempt to kind of find the bank account at the end of, of this chain, uh, can you tell me about, is it Colchi Colchi Colchess 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 capital management? I examined one,
1: um, one company. It's definitely not the biggest company, uh, but there's a company called imagine homes, um, that is doing business in four States. Uh, the bread and butter seems to be, um, the Rust Belt, you know, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, St. Louis. um, i tried to figure out just who exactly owns this um, and they buy houses through a few LLCs. You can trace that you can see like who actually owns the house from county records. Um, and everything seems to be signed by executives at this um, wealth management firm with offices in San Francisco and this little town near Lake Tahoe. Um, they're using the Lake Tahoe address. Um, so they clearly have a relationship with this LLC called uh, Cultus Capital Management. And since 2005, this entity seems to exist only to find ways to make buying real estate simpler. So Colchis uh, says on its website that um, it says its mission is to uh, leverage big data, analytics, technology, and operational know-how who strategically invest in several categories of uh, real estate. So they invest in a company that uses um, AI for mortgage lending decisions. Another that uses blockchain um, and real estate investment. They've um, put money into a program that it claims can replicate all the paperwork needed to uh, create a real estate investment firm just in a single afternoon. So this um, mysterious company that is buying up all these houses in um, Rust Belt cities seems to be backed by this San Francisco firm that exists only to make buying real estate simpler and, and cheaper. So again, sort of who your landlord is, um, who, who that rent check is, is funding every month becomes a bit mysterious. And, like I said, I, I have a pretty traditional situation where I know that my rent check goes to a man named Chuck. I've met him <laughs> like, and he's a yeah. Um, but if you are dealing with one of these huge companies and these robot landlords, just sort of who's at the end of that, um, who's at the end of that chain of interaction, who's sucking up all the money from all these tenants. Um, that becomes a bit mysterious and we are um, in the middle of a trend where Fewer and fewer people are um, at the level where they can buy a house. Um, Homeownership is increasingly uh, unaffordable for more and more people. Um, So that worries a lot of affordable housing advocates that all these really rich firms are entering the market and buying houses that, you know, could be good for people who have lower incomes.
0: Yeah, this is my last question actually is that we are seeing when you when you have a machine that's going out and scooping up all of the basically the starter homes, right? It drives up the cost for everyone that's not one of the machines.
1: There's not a lot of data on this and you know people who work in this field will tell you that it is only 3% of the houses in the United States that are owned by Wall Street backed firms. Now, considering that these Wall Street-backed landlords did not exist uh, um, 12 years ago, the fact that they now own 3% of the houses nationwide, um, you could look at that as as pretty rapid growth. And there are some cities um, like Atlanta. Yeah, in Atlanta, they own one in five uh, single-family home rentals. Um, In Cincinnati, it's become so pervasive that the city itself is buying houses um, just to sort of keep them away from these robot landlords with these quick mechanisms to buy up houses. So there's no data yet showing that um, it's increasing house prices, but, you know, it's just kind of common sense that if you have these, these people who are coming into the market buying houses um, and literally make I mean the the guy I talked to in Cincinnati who sold his house to one of these companies said they made him a deal he couldn't refuse
0: right Um, $10,000 over the asking price and by the way we can close like next week and there's no inspection
1: yeah you're just not going to find that from you know a couple of 25 year olds with a new baby who want to buy a house
0: Nick Kepler thank you so much for coming on to cyber and walking us through this where can people find your work
1: they can find me at uh, Um I'm also at Nick Kepler
0: on Twitter. All right. Well, we look forward to uh, hearing more about the robot landlords in the future. Uh, listeners, if you like the show, we are streaming live most of the time on YouTube and Twitch at youtube.com forward slash motherboard and twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV. Follow us there and you'll be notified when we go live. You can interact with us and uh, watch the show commercial free as we record it it's super fun I hope to see you there and we will be back a little bit later this week we might be talking to Aaron Gordon about what's going on with the railroad strike we'll see we'll see we'll see what's going on Uh, but we will talk to you later stay safe out there on the internet